Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everybody. Today we are going to learn from one of the most impressive mass beauty CMOs in the world, So Young Kang. Thanks for joining the show, So Young. Thank you for having me, Connor. Your uh, your background both mirrors our last guest and is equally as impressive. Um, I, <laughs> for those that uh, that don't know you, I'm going to brag about you for a second here, right? So you you know educationally did your undergrad at MIT, MBA at Wharton, which was the same as our last guest, Adeline, as well as you were a Fulbright scholar. You then did three years at Victoria's Secret and L Brands, ten years at Bath and Body Works as the SVP of brand. Three years now at EOS as a CMO, where you've grown that social audience to over 10 million fans, 750,000 of which are on TikTok. And then you've got a crazy number of awards, Forbes, CMO, Next, Business Insider as the CMO to watch, Glossy as a beauty innovator, on and on and on. Um, so congrats on all the hard work and, and, and all the accomplishments are super impressive. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I think it's, first of all, it's like, it's really great to hear the, um, when it's all kind of summarized like that, I think it, it, it feels very like, just like the day-to-day work of the work um, as you're going along. Um, I think it's really incredible that you, you've got now at this point, like two people on with that MIT Wharton, like Venn diagram, because there's probably very, very few of us out there in the world, but that's pretty amazing. Specifically within the beauty industry, right? I don't think that's the general path, um, but yeah. So, you know, we are experimenting. So we're using a new application for this podcast recording. And I think that that was a theme that I saw during your interviews and the way that you talked about things. So tell me, what has been your latest big experiment? Um, and this can, be, this can be a personal experiment or a work experiment. And then what did you learn from it? Um, what's the latest? So I, I feel like experimentation has always been something that I just, I, I love that about the industry that we're in and about like my particular functional role within this industry, because I think that within beauty, you have like some of the most entrepreneurial and like risk-taking folks and out there. Um, and then on top of that, when you work on the marketing side, you're always sort of tinkering with, with new and emerging things. So um, for us, I would probably say, um, you know, we've, I've talked a lot about TikTok and I'm sure we're going to, you know, have, have that as part of our conversation, but I would say one, um, sort of newer thing that we have been really embracing is having a more hilarious and authentic dialogue on TikTok with um, Mm. our audience there. And I think that that's been really eye opening for us in terms of how much people are really embracing, um, the, real raw and unfiltered um voice that we've been putting out there to talk about things that maybe brands haven't historically talked about that have been a little bit more taboo or or, you know like just sort of off limits um and i think that that's yielding incredible returns um and uh, you know we're excited to do more of it going forward we have some really fun things that we're working on right now so two questions that come out of that one is i would love to hear about what what was the one that was almost too authentic, right? Was there anything that's been too authentic? <laughs> like when uh, keeping it real goes wrong, right? So I'd love to hear about anything that's been like, where have you kind of pushed the boundaries there? Yeah. Um, for those that aren't following you online. Um, and then second, you talked about, you know, results, right? Like this has been, you know, returned great results. What are results for you, right? In doing those. I'd love to hear that, explore those two things. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think our, uh, the example that we have been, um, like the most proud of and, and that continued to sort of like yield results and, uh, for us, for our business has been, um, you know, when we had this viral video that appeared on TikTok that was, um, a, a young creator who was basically raving about our shave cream product. Now our shave cream has existed in our portfolio for actually since the beginning, it, it was launched at the beginning of, um, of the life of videos. But it hadn't really gotten a ton of love either, like from us, we've always had sort of a cult following, but we haven't really done a whole lot to invest in and grow that business. But people have found it, people have loved it. And this one particular creator was raving um, because somebody had asked her like, you know, how do you, how do you deal with like the razor bumps in your bikini area? And so she posted this very long, hilarious, super authentic, and definitely not overly authentic, I swear, um, video. Where she starts and the, the way she intros it, she says that, you know, our product is the secret for how to bless your effing cooch. And she, she doesn't say effing. She says like, like all the real words. Um, <laughs> and so she goes on this like long, like she, this long tutorial about like how she shaves her private parts. And it's like the kind of thing that you would, you know, if you think back years ago, not only would brands not have talked about that or embraced it or amplified it, but yeah. frankly, people really just did it in in like out in public to like millions of people but her video went absolutely viral um millions and millions of people watched it and liked it we knew that we wanted to be a part of the conversation and just like really embracing the authenticity the realness um and the unfiltered view on something that like actually a lot of people wonder about a lot of people really do wonder how you how to shave your cooch properly and like we (laughs) wanted to be part of like this conversation to help people to like learn. And she has like a whole thing where she's like, you shave down, you know, like sideways on one side, sideways on the other side, and then up. And she's like, it's like a whole long thing. And it's like really um, descriptive. And so we took literally all her words and we repackaged our product. And we, we basically created a whole like limited edition line of product called Cooch Blessing Cream. And we took verbatim every single word. She says, you know, she says like, like I said, like shave down, shave sideways, go up. If you're in the shower, great. If you're not, F it. Like who cares? It works anyway. So she, so we all of it printed on the packaging verbatim. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of like sent it to her as a gift, but also as like a, hey, creator, we'd love to partner with you. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that got her attention. It got TikTok's attention, that's for sure, because we got millions more views on that video as well. And it was the beginning of a partnership. So then we started a um, collaboration with her. Um, it was so successful. We expanded it out to other creators as well, who all put their own unique spin and spoke to their own audiences in similarly hilarious ways about how to achieve that smooth ass hoo-ha. And so it was like a <laughs> tremendous success. Tremendous success for us. Our um, yeah. our business, yeah, our business um, has doubled. Um, it, it's it's it was and it's an immediate overnight um, impact to our business. You can really see it in the way that our um, you know searches were up, um, search ranking was up, uh, the traffic to our site increased by um, four hundred and fifty times. Whoa. looking for shave cream, what it was. Um, we essentially sold out across all of our retailers. We've been absolutely in chase mode um, in terms of like trying to get that, get the supply back in. But even despite all of, um, you know, despite chasing the inventory, we were for several weeks, the number one shave brand at Target 
across men's and women's. I mean, this is how powerful, this is how powerful the, you know, the platform is, how powerful social media is, how powerful a really great, smart and fast partnership with a creator can be in terms of impacting your business. So I would say all of this is, I know this is a long story, but it's all basically saying like, we leaned into it. And I will tell you, like there, there were like, a couple of conversations. Are we ready for this? And we and we were like, hell yeah, we're ready for it because this yeah. is the kind of this is the conversation that we can't not be a part of. You know what I mean? So like we yeah. moved really oh, yeah. fast and it worked and it continues to work for us. That so that one story right makes the whole podcast worth it, right? <laughs> and I think that um, it because it's again like one super scary to do, right? Like this is a brand that's been around for a long time. It's risky. Two like. Yeah, that idea of co-creation and of, you know, really using them as the experts, right, is just so fascinating. And then also that this all happened, right, it, it started organic, but then you embrace it, right? So it, it wasn't something that you didn't see this, you didn't plan this, it happened, but you saw it, you engaged, you adapted, whatever. And, and the results then, like you said, oh my God, I love that. I had no idea that's what was going to come out of that question. And I'm so happy I asked it. <laughs> Um, whoa, that's super cool. Congrats on that. Um, Thank you. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like the, the, the thing that, um, has been really interesting is, um, in the aftermath of all of this, cause you know, we've certainly gotten, um, some really great kudos and attention from the industry, um, about this campaign. And in the aftermath, like, uh, you know, people have asked me, they're like, you know, what, like, why did you decide to partner with this creator? And I was like, what, why wouldn't we partner with this creator? Yeah. I mean, he's already impacting our business and making us a part of a relevant and real conversation. Like from day one, why would we not want to keep that going? Why would we not want to like amplify that and keep the momentum and, and, and like kind of like milk it for as long as we possibly could. But the, the other piece of it was just like, um, you know, I've also gotten asked, you know, were you afraid? And I would say that honestly, for, it was probably like a half a second, like in, yeah. in, in this grand scheme of things, it was like a half a second where we looked at each other and we're like, are we ready for this? And we're like, yeah, we're totally. And then we were all in. There was like literally nothing about this idea that scared us. It was just all excitement so much. Yeah. So that we had the we got the idea. We were partnering with um, with our creative agency, um, Mischief, and we got the idea at at I think it was eleven a.m. or ten a.m. one day, uh, like on a particular day. And I think we were in production that night. Um, and then we actually had the product produced like super fast. Uh, you know, like just kind of pulling every favor we could. Um, and within three days, within three days, the product was in um, the creator's hands. That's so. It was, it was very, very fast. Um, and as you know, probably better than anyone, if you don't move fast, these things do fizzle out. So you really have yeah. to kind of strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, no, momentum is super critical. Um, that is such a cool story. I love that. Um, okay, all right, we're going to take a step back. So, was, so let's talk about your background a little bit, right? So for this podcast, the way that I think about it, part of it is diving into these kinds of stories. But then part of it's like, okay, for somebody that wants to be you, right, how do they get there, right? What does that path look like? And so, you know, taking a step back to when you were first in undergrad at MIT, obviously went kind of the business business side of things. Was marketing always on your mind or was this something that kind of grew on you? Tell me about that that path a little bit. Yeah, so I, um, I'm a huge fan of people who, um, you know, just explore and therefore have more evolutionary careers versus a straight path from A to B. 
Um, yeah. and, and that's that's my background. I mean, I, I actually, when I was at MIT, I studied architecture as an undergrad. Yeah. And um, I actually thought I would be an architect um, for quite a period of time. And then coming out of undergrad, I ended up taking a job in financial institutions strategy consulting. So it's like nothing to do with my undergrad and nothing to do with what I do today. But every step that I've taken in my career, I've, I've used it to sort of assess, like, how do I calibrate, get closer to things that make me excited and that I'm passionate about? And so from there, each subsequent step that I took, I would say, get, got me a little, you know, closer. I, you know, I took some left turns and some right turns and, and that's okay because at the end of the day, you are, you are not only a um, product of a um, meticulously planned career journey. In a <laughs> Even if it looks like that on LinkedIn, right? Because you can look at LinkedIn. It's like, oh, yeah. well, obviously you went from here to here to here to here. Like, this whole, this was all part of the plan from the beginning. It, so but, it, but, you know, I mean, I, I spent the first 10 years of my career really as like a, really as a strategist and as more of a consultant and probably thinking more holistically about the business versus as somebody who's like, you know, a marketer or a brand builder, or frankly, even a, a beauty person. And I think that, um, but I do think that like a lot of my early um, skills um, and my early training really make me the type of marketer that I am today. I, I do tend to kind of embrace um, like measured risk taking. I do tend to embrace looking at holistically at the sum of the entire business scenario, not only just my functional area, but like, you know, really thinking more broadly as a leader of the business. Um, I do, I'm, I am a, I like to think about strategic frameworks when I'm thinking about, um, problems that I'm trying to solve. So all of that comes from the early phase of my career when I was doing things like consulting to insurance companies. You wouldn't have expected yeah. You wouldn't have expected that that work would have led to where I am today. But I guess my um, my advice to the folks out there who are wondering how they're going to end up in a position um, in the position of their dreams in the future is that everything that you do in your career can be something you build off of and that you use to springboard into the next phase. And then that becomes something you use to springboard into the next phase. And it's OK if it doesn't always make sense from step to step, because it's the sum of the entire picture that makes you the leader that you ultimately become. It's not just being the perfectly planned straight line from, you know, from A to B. It, it's really a series of calibrations throughout your career. And that's okay. Yeah. I think focusing on things that one, like you said, get you excited, right? Thing areas where you feel like you're learning, right? So you're constantly learning, growing, et cetera. And then three, like you said, I think seeing it as like a building block towards your yeah. career is the goal, right? Like that's that's the path. Um, I know that for me, I made a really big pivot in the way that we, you know, even while I've been a tribe, in terms, like I, I, I remember at one point I was like, oh, like I'm really bad at these things. Like I need to get better at them, right? So let's focus on them. Let's get better. And it's like, why am I doing this? Like I don't enjoy it. This isn't like I'm not good at it. Like, like. I think specialization is uh, so powerful, right? And especially when it's something that you're good at and people tend to like the things they're good at, right? So those two things tend to be highly aligned. Um, I, I totally agree with that, Connor. I, somebody, um, somebody once said to me that like, you'll always be successful if you do more of the things that make you happy. And, mm -hmm. and I actually huge proponent of that, that like, it doesn't mean that you can't learn new things and grow. Um, and it certainly doesn't mean that you can't like try to like, you know, become better at a lot of things that maybe you're not as good at, but like, 
if, if at the core of what you're doing, you're leaning into the things that you're personally passionate about, you're always going to be successful. It's going to lead you naturally down a path where you're going to have career, um, you know, career success because you're doing the things that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's, so there's a big kind of middle part of your career that I think is quite interesting, right? So this is the time at L Brands, which I think spans, I mean, it's over a decade, right? Um, and I think that I've always liked the people overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in a decade. Right? I'm a big fan of that phrase. Um, so tell me about that period in your career, because I have to imagine that played a pretty big role as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely did. <clears throat> and it's also um, a really interesting time in the like, you know, in the, in the journey, at, you know, at Bath and Body Works as well, because in the time that I was there, the areas that the area that I really um, ultimately came to lead and the personal care side of things grew tremendously over the course of my 10 years. Um, so and I really think of the Bath and Body Works of that career path as being the the most formative because I spent such a long period of time that that 10 years was where I really went from I would say being having a more mid-level perspective to really becoming um a more seasoned leader and what better place to do it than at a brand that's truly best in class in retail and is a formidable brand within the world of beauty and personal care um, than Bath and Body Works. But there's so many things that I've learned today where the business model that I'm in today is not what that business model is. I mean, the category shares certain things like, you know, there's a lot of personal care, product, et cetera. But like yep. we're talking mall-based specialty retail for 10 years of my life, vertically integrated, private label, you know, created and sold. Yeah. Versus now I'm in like a wholesale CPG brand that predominantly sells to food, drug and mass retailers. So it's like very, the the model itself is very different. So there's been a ton of like learning that I've done here, but like a lot of the principles that I've taken from my days at Bath and Body Works are still incredibly valid. The ideas around like testing, tinkering, always um, experimentation, having a learning agenda, the idea of thinking about your consumer and how, if you start from the insights of what is your consumer need that maybe they don't even know they need yet. Um, Mm. All of these things are things that I apply now to my day-to-day, even though my day-to-day looks very different than it did while I was at Bath & Body. I'm I'm always like tremendously grateful for the training um, that I had during those 10 years and the fact that, you know, essentially I I grew up in that organization. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we're almost nine years into Tribe and it's a long, it's kind of of, it's funny because it sounds like a long period of time, but it also goes by really quickly. Like, I can't believe I've been in this for nine years. Um, yeah. So kind of on that. So obviously you have differences in distribution, right? But one of the things that I do think is similar between, um, you know, your current brand and, and Bath and Body Works is price point, right? So they're both kind of on a relative basis, you know, to be considered mass brands, right? So lower price point brands. Um and what I think is really fascinating about my perception of both brands is that they're both just like cool brands, right? There's not that many like cool, fun, mass brands. And I have to imagine that, you know, you played a pretty big role in both of those considering, you know, CMO at uh, your current brand. And I'm saying EOS, right? That's I got that right. EOS, right? Yep. That's how you guys say it. Okay. I'm always scared. I'm like, is it EOS? Is it EOS? <laughs> so I probably should have done that in the prep. But um, so. Um, so tell me about that both like one was that obviously I would imagine that was somewhat of a goal right within Bath and Body Works and you're there long enough as the SVP of brand to like really have an impact on that 
And then when you first started working at EOS, was it like that at the beginning or has that been kind of a transformation over the last few years? Like how has that changed from when you started to, to where you are today in terms of their, their approach to branding and marketing? <clears throat> well, so I think it's a, it's a really like insightful observation to see the similarities and the parallels between both of those brands. And I, what I would say is that I, um, number one, if I go back to like the first part of your question around like, you know, mass brands, I actually love working at accessible, value-driven brands. I, I, I actually think that it is something that I'm actually pretty passionate about because yeah. I love this idea of being able to deliver quality um, at a value to consumers and doing what I what I like to call like democratization of categories that maybe historically have not been very democratized, where you had to compromise and maybe accept lower quality or less special or less inspiring um <clears throat> products in exchange for a lower price point i love that both yeah. Parks as well as eos today offer like the best in class from experience quality um all of the above but at a really really affordable price point that anyone can engage so it's a huge part of what actually attracted me to eos but it yeah like, I love working on mass brands and i think that in the world of um in the world of like that sort of affordable mass price point I think there's so much room to really disrupt the traditional players that have been out there. So because for, for many, many years, for too long, consumers did accept a compromise. So, you know, maybe maybe uh, either lower quality or just like less fun, less less fashion oriented or driven. Yeah. Um, and I think today's world looks vastly different. So when you look across all of these different categories, they're all being disrupted by the upstart um, brands that are coming in with a more elevated point of view, they're, they're creating moments of like desire and inspiration and fashion in categories that never had that band-aids, toothpaste, um, you know, vitamins, like these are yeah. all categories that you never would have been like where you never would have thought like, this is a, this is a desire category versus a replenishment functional category. Um and and yet that that's the that's the world that we're living in. And so while I you know I I I've always admired EOS as a brand because they were doing this like they're like the OG disruptor, right? So like they were doing this ten years ago when nobody was doing this in these aisles. Um, so I've always admired that. And then today I think that the degree of storytelling and fun and engagement that you do with your consumer like that bar has just gotten so much more elevated because there are many other brands who are doing that today across many other categories. Yep. And so for me, that's like, that's like sort of like next level challenge, right? Like how do I take this brand that was like, you know, like I said, the OG disruptor, the OG like influencer brand or like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a lip balm, right? Um, from like 10 years ago. And how do I take this brand to next level? And that was like the fun challenge for me. I've always, you know, I, I, I love the, the history. I love like the, the strategy and that sort of like positioning of the brand. How do I do that? And like up my game. Um, and that's what really appealed to me about this opportunity. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I agree that this this opportunity to deliver significant value beyond just price is uh, it's a fascinating challenge, and it's something that you're seeing happen quite a lot across kind of these traditionally replenishment driven categories, right? Like all of these direct to consumer brands that are popping up that are taking a category that's been either, you know, relatively boring or stodgy or hasn't had a lot of innovation. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, 
Okay, so you've mentioned leadership several times. I've heard you use that word a few times. Um, I'd love to hear about what your kind of leadership philosophies are, number one. Um, and number two, you know, when you've left EOS and you're on to your next thing, you know, what would you hope people would say about their time kind of working with you as a leader specifically? I mean, I think that um, I'll start with the second kind of question first, because I, I, I would always hope that wherever I've left, I've, wherever I've left, I would I would hope to be able to leave um, a legacy. And for me, while I appreciate legacy around business growth, shaping the brand and the work and the content, for me, the number one legacy that any le leader can leave are the people that they leave. And and so um, not that I'm planning to go anywhere anytime soon, but like if, if I were, I would want to feel that I had set up an organization and a team that was so strong that like, you know, frankly, I, I could walk out the door and they would still be able to um, do fantastic work and build an amazing brand even without me. And that's really what that legacy is. And then I would love a legacy where um, they say that I was, you know, fair and, and made, made this place a, um, a place that they wanted to be, not just because it's a job, but it's because it's an organization that they feel feel proud to be a part of. And um, so that's, you know, that's something that's become increasingly more important to me. I, I feel like the, the older I get, I, I, maybe I'm getting like more sentimental about the whole thing, but like, I, I do feel that those are the things that I'm going to be the most proud of um, anytime I leave an organization. I think that the, um, the uh, yeah, I've forgotten the first question now after, <laughs> after opining about <laughs> the second question. Kind of in terms of your leadership approach, <laughs> oh, right, so right, leadership right. approach, leadership yeah. philosophies, I think they're kind of tied in with the first question that you answered. Yeah, but, yeah. I so, I mean, I think that any leader really needs to understand what they're stepping into. So it's, it's less about uh, me having sort of a one size fits all approach to leadership. It's really more, what does the organization need? What does the brand need? What does this team need at this time? And that'll look very different depending on the, the role, the context of the role. So like, as an example, being a leader at a larger scaled organization, like when I was at Bath and Body Works is going to look different than how I can best add value as a leader within a smaller, nimbler, leaner and private organization like EOS. That's just yep. in a very different phase in its journey. And so for me, it's really about assessing what does this team need? What does the company need? What does this brand need? And how can I add the most amount of value as a critical member of the leadership team within Bath and Body Works, it's just my day to day looked very different. The, the you know the, the the team itself looked very different, and so how I really felt like I could add the most value looked very different than where I am today. There was a lot more, for example, representing the team's ideas within different leadership forums. Right within EOS, you know, we're lean. We're we're a relatively small team, and so I'm in it with the rest of the team. And the way that I add a lot of value is like really being more, um, you know, a member of the team, and, and actually kind of like rolling up my sleeves and doing doing yeah. some of the work of the work too. Um, and that's a really important thing um, within a smaller organization of how how leaders show up is that they they're they're part of the team, not only um, you know in some sort of like a hierarchical structure. So. Um, so that's really been for me, um, the, the two, the last two, these, this experience, as well as my last experience is that it's been a really great juxtaposition for me to be able to flex my own leadership style and to be able to adjust as I need in order to help to make the team as successful as they possibly can be. Yeah, that makes sense. What is the actual size difference? Like how many employees are there at Bath and Body Works versus, uh, versus, yes, I don't know. Well, I mean, Bath and Body Works also has like the entire field organization. So it's like 
tens yeah. of thousands yeah. of people. Um, I genuinely like, can't even remember how many people were within the home office, but I, I think that even uh, it's, but it's, it's probably in the hundreds um, that I yeah. kind of worked with more um, on a day-to-day basis. EOS is over a hundred people, but that's, that's it. Yeah. We're, we're a really small, nimble team, which is also part, I think of, um, you know, how I think about our competitive advantage. So at any yeah. point that whatever situation you're in, whatever role you're in, you always have to think about like, not, what do I not have? Like, what am I missing that I wish I had? You think about what do I have? And then how do I leverage that to competitive advantage it, for EOS? If my competitive advantage is that we're smaller, less red tape, make decisions faster, um, you know, can can do, uh, you know, can be scrappier. Um, I can create things like, you know, our our cooch blessings campaign and react <laughs> yeah. to that. Or I can create things like we we do. Um, you know, one of the first things that I did was initiate like our D to C micro batch strategy, which allowed for us to create small batches of limited edition get it while you can, you're never going to see these again type of product in order to drive a, um, you know, engagement with our fan base. And that's been hugely yeah. successful for us too. But these are the types of things that we could enact because we were leaner and smaller and could move fast. Yeah. I mean, the, the having product in the influencer's hand, what was the influencer's name, by the way? Carly Joy. Carly Joy. Okay. So having product in her hands within three days is with like custom packaging, custom labeling, whatever it is, is just crazy. Like it's so cool. And like you said, you know, if, uh, even if Bath and Body Works tried to do that, it'd be really hard, right? And just so much more, so much more tape, paper, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Well, and also even just the approval process would have been, yeah. you know, in this case, um, I, 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 I'm telling you the truth. Um, and I've, I've used this as like a funny, um, you know, like, a funny factoid, but it's actually true, which is I forgot to tell my boss that I was doing this, but I had already initiated the whole thing. So there's like no turning back. I forgot to tell my CEO that I had initiated creating Cooch Blessing Cream product. <laughs> and, but it was like that. It was like the, the ship had sailed. So luckily he saw the tremendous value in the initiative as well. It was like fully on board, but, um, but I, luckily but, yeah, it I worked. It's a good thing it worked. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about something else that worked too. So you have, uh, crushed it on TikTok, Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you described it earlier, but like, it is my personal favorite social network. Like, I just love it. I don't know if all my data is going to the CCP in China. I don't really care, whatever. Right. But I just, I love it. And, um, I just think there's so much creativity and it's, you know, and it kind of has that emotion of joy, right? Like it's, uh, so talk to me about that, that evolution there, right? You guys started working on it, I believe a couple years ago, right? Two, three years ago. Um, so what, what prompted you to invest in it in the first place? And then how have you, how has your approach changed over time? Right. I think that you, yeah, you've talked about authenticity, but talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So, I mean, we, um, we jumped on board, uh, pretty early on. We, we, um, had our first campaign on TikTok in the fall of 2019, which I know it was only two years ago, but it seems like a lifetime yep. ago. Um, and it was a lifetime ago, and I would say in like sort of the maturity of the, the you know, brands jumping on um, to TikTok as a, as a marketing platform. 
Um, for us, we, we had our first campaign um, largely because we were all personally obsessed. I mean, we, we had all been sort of um, on the, the app since 2018, um, myself included. And I do feel that, you know, for marketers who are considering new platforms, it's really important to immerse yourself in that new platform. Maybe this is another lesson from my old like retail days, but, you know, we used to be out in stores all the time and there's nothing that really substitutes. No amount of somebody explaining something to you can substitute the experience of just, you know, doing it yourself and yeah. so um you know for us we we were all we were all on tiktok we kind of loved it even back then when predominantly like lip thinking um you know mostly and um so we decided that we wanted to be able to take our standing experimental test and learn media budget component and um as tiktok and the results were unbelievable mm -hmm. um we we, you know, obviously like measured the results in terms of like brand lift and ad recall and all of these things. And we just saw numbers that we had never seen before in any other um, type of paid media campaign. And so we jumped right back in. I think we went, um, I think we ran our first campaign in September. The second campaign was in like December. So like as soon as we could just like reactivate, we were, we, um, we reactivated. And then that December campaign, we worked with, we were the first brand that partnered with Charlie D'Amelio. And so that campaign went like crazy as well, because at that time she was like completely taking off like a rocket ship. And then, yeah. you know, we kind of went back in again. So it's become a real staple component of our marketing plan. And it, it has evolved over time. The way that we think about our engagement on it, I would say that we in the beginning um, weren't as savvy in terms of how to build out our owned and organic presence. And now we, I think, have um, really some best in class um ways of approaching that so that we can build our own like audience of fans on the platform and then in addition we often um you know we we have episodic like creator um activations where we get to yep. then reach new audiences and um and tap into other people's like incredible creativity um and then yep. of course we have a, a just always investing in um, in paid media um, on the platform, whether it's through the creator content or our owned content. So um, I would say that our our strategy in the beginning was really like, huh, let's just you know we love it, like let's yeah. see how it goes. Now I think we have a much more sophisticated strategy in play, um, where it's a multi component strategy that um, we really activate again. I would say 365 days a year. Um, and over that, I, I think there are a few things that we've learned. I think we've learned that, um, you know, the platform itself has evolved. So the content on it has evolved. But the one thing that I would say that is true, was true back then, that is true today, is that um, highly entertaining, un, like not perfect, not polished content tends to be the most effective and tends to get the highest amount of engagement. And I actually think that that's affecting and influencing content outside of the platform as well. Increasingly, I feel that that's the type of content that's really resonating in other social media platforms um, or in other areas of production. And so that is something that I where I feel um, there's been an overarching trend that TikTok has truly influenced. Um, we've found that like working with different creators um, is, is continues to be an important part of our, our platform um, strategy where we really need to reach a lot of different audiences and having that 
diversified approach across many different creators gives us sort of um, what I, you know, I call it like, you, you got to kind of take a lot of at bats to, yeah. um, to strike, to, to, you know, to, to be successful, <laughs> not strike out. I'm like, I'm going to fix my sports <laughs> metaphors and then you're going to see how completely unqualified I am to be successful. Um, to hit a home run. That's what I was going to say. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, you, you really do, you have to try a lot in order to actually um, find the things that win. And then we've also found that owned and organic is just as important as paid, that having a really smart strategy around owned or organic allows for us to have our own voice on the platform. It also allows for us to be more relevant, not that like the weird brand that advertises occasionally, but like the brand that's like a member of the community. Um, yeah. And so that's been a really important thing that we've um, worked really hard over the course of the last two years to refine what's our voice and what's our point of view. Our content tends to be funny and authentic and we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I think as brands um, are, have increasingly embraced not taking yourself too seriously and being more authentic and funny and a little raw, I yeah. think that they're going to find a higher degree of success on the platform um, because that's really what the, what the, the community wants. Yeah. I think the reality is that we're so drowned in content, right? There's just so many content options available that, you know, having something that's unexpected, having something that is, uh, I think that's, you know, that's appealing to people right now um, in particular. Um, and there are, there's, I have like six questions coming out of that and I'm trying to decide which one to go with. So you kind of talked a little bit about kind of team, right? Um, and team specifically around like being embedded in the platform was helpful for you. Uh, you know, and I, I know that ColourPop does the same thing where they actually have, you know, they have platform specialists. So like you're the Facebook person, you're the Instagram person, you're the TikTok person, and you run both the owned and the kind of organic influencer relationships there. Um, so talk to me about how you structure your team. You mentioned agencies a little bit as well. I'd love to hear about what role they play. So talk to me a little bit about team structure, agencies. How are you, you know, uh, setting up resources there? Well, I mean, I, I, I wish I could tell you that we had this massive team that we deploy everyone dedicated to different platforms and different components of our marketing strategy. But the reality is that we're a relatively small and lean team. So we all wear a lot yep. of hats. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, I've, I, I actually do believe that, um, you know, like I said earlier, t turning um, something that, you know, you could view as glass half empty into a glass half full, therefore becoming a competitive advantage is that we actually have a really strong, I would say, multi-platform point of view across many team members within the marketing team, because they're all sort of like, They've all become experts across platforms, which has been really great for cross-pollination, as well as looking for trends and things that are coming out like from one platform that's influencing another. So like, you know, when we look at, for example, what's working and trending on TikTok and we compare that to what's working for us on Instagram, like it's actually really helpful to have that level of cross-pollination and look for the sparks that might be shared and look for the points of difference as well. Um, we do have, um, you know, folks who on our team who do all of the content creation for owned and organic. So we do predominantly all the content creation. We work with creators from time to time as well, as I mentioned, as you yep. know, sort of an episodic um, kind of strategy. Um, and really our creative agencies are there to help fuel big, thorny creative questions and really help to juice us with things that we couldn't have possibly imagined as the experts on, um, on big creative ideas, uh, mostly for our paid media that we might deploy um, a little less so for things like, you know, they don't do, for example, any of our like 
owned an organic TikTok content. But yeah. in the case of like, you know, the shave cream viral video, we wanted a super duper smart, super fast response to something that was happening in real time. So that's yeah. when we like reached out and engaged our agency to kind of help supercharge our creative efforts. And man, did they come through. So, um, so I do really think that, um, you know, we, we've gotten to a place where we have a really great machine that's operating. It's not necessarily a, um, you know, a, I would say a specialized machine, but more of a generalist approach across all of our social media platforms so that we can make sure that we have at any given time, we're all kind of learning together. Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds complicated, but it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like I'm making it sound more complicated than it really is. But at the end of the day, I, I, I truly, I do believe that like, when you're, when you're part of a smaller team, you really believe that like great ideas can come from anywhere. Yeah. And so we love this idea of sort of tapping into this collective hive, um, both internal as well as, you know, like some of our really important external partners as well. But it's like, it's one brain trust and may the, may the best idea win. You know, sometimes it's mine, but sometimes it's the interns and it's like, it, it's a, a good idea is a good idea, you know? So we're, we're willing to lean in wherever the good ideas come from. Totally. And actually what I meant by complicated was not, uh, it's not like you're, was, it's more just, I think when all you did was run like TV and magazine ads, like it wasn't that complicated, <laughs> right? You know, and yes. so, there's just, yes. there's just such an unlimited number of options that you can do now that oh, it's man. crazy. It, it really is. And this is why I truly believe for myself I will always be a marketer at heart because I find it so exciting and so invigorating. Cause like yeah. one of the core things about my personality is like, I just love to learn. And as soon as I stop learning, I feel like I'm going to like die of boredom and, <laughs> and marketing. There's always something to learn in marketing. Cause it's always evolving. I mean, I couldn't have, could not have imagined like when I first took this job at EOS that someday I would become someone who, you know, gets quoted on TikTok strategy, but like, it, cause it yeah. didn't exist at the time. And so everybody is a newbie and everybody can be an expert. And that's actually one of the things that's fantastic about, um, about our industry. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, I, <laughs> I get requests all the time. Like, okay, I need a VP of marketing. That's got 10 years of digital, this amount of social, this amount of this. I'm like, Guys, like this stuff hasn't been around for that long. Like they're just right. like, it's like, there's nobody that has this experience that you're looking for. Um, but, uh, okay, one more question. Um, and then we'll go into just a fun kind of end of show question. So, you know, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about creators a little bit more. And obviously you talked about your work with Charlie early on and, you know, some of the stuff that you do now, but walk me through what your philosophies are specifically on influencer marketing. So how do you approach that or creator marketing, whatever you want to call it, um, as well as, you know, what, you know, what structurally do you do, right? Do you have like a tier one, tier two, tier three strategy? Are you doing gifting? Are you doing like, what are the actual structural components as well as the philosophies? Uh, in terms of how you work with creators? Yeah, so I, I actually do, I do believe in, um, you know, diversified, like, um, you know, sort of slates of creators where we have, um, for any given campaign, we like to kind of go after um, some folks with like maybe larger, like much larger size audiences, like a Charlie or 
recently we did something with Bella Porch. We did something, um, you know, with Ricky Thompson on Instagram. Like, so we'll, we'll work with some of like the, the bigger creators, but then also having um, many other types of creators because they're reaching different audiences. Um, you know, they're really reaching different people and then their audiences are turning to them for different reasons too. Um, I really believe in the power of both like these, these macro influencers, but also micro and nano influencers having really authentic and real engagement and dialogue with their audiences as well. So I think that any smart strategy should have a multi-layered diversified approach to their creators, um, their creator strategy. I, I also, um, you know, really believe that there has to be some degree of balancing between the organic piece as well as, you know, really making the investment. Once you've, once you've partnered with a creator, you really want to make your investment stretch as far as possible. So ensuring that you have enough within your, um, your budget and your plan so that you can help to, you know, reach as many people as possible through amplifying that content is really an, an incredibly important part of partnering with creators as well. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, years ago, we, we had been doing a lot of, you know, gifting and things like that. I think we believe a little bit more that like, we're, we're in a place right now, I think as an industry where when people work hard to get their audience, whether it's a small audience or a large audience, you're really expected to compensate people for that. And, yeah. you know, obviously somebody with a significantly smaller audience is it's not they're not necessarily going to command as large, you know, as as, a, a, you know, compensation as somebody who has like a much significantly larger. But everybody deserves to get paid for the value that they're driving on behalf of your brand. And so that is something that we um, we do believe in and we and we ensure is like baked into any program that we're running. Um, you know, other than that, I, I think there's some degree of like, especially on TikTok, um, I would say there's some degree of letting the creators do what they do best, which is create because yeah. they really yeah. know how to create great content in a way that you as the brand, while you're trying to like brief them on like, do this and don't do that. And the, you know, like all of the different ways that we brief, which is probably super annoying to creators, but like there <laughs> you do, you do have to let go, um, to some yeah. degree and make sure that you are like you're, you're partnering with this, with this person, you're paying them for their expertise, let them use their expertise. And that has been a really important part of our learning in particular on TikTok, because like with TikTok, it's like completely like, you know, was like unpredictable. What would go, yeah. you know, what would do well and what wouldn't do well. And so what we found was like our success on average was increasing the more we sort of like let go of like the tightness in the brief and the tightness of how we wanted to control the content. So, you know, overarching, I, I, I think creators are such an important part of any brand's ecosystem. And in particular, when you're a brand that really has a strong, um, like social media following, when you're really trying to tell, you know, many and often stories to your communities, it's important to keep that community like thriving and keep them engaged through not only your own produced content, but working with creators to create like new ways of reaching uh, new ways of creating content as well as new ways of reaching incremental audiences. Yeah. Letting go is, is super hard. I think it's something that, you know, obviously I think I've grown up in this era. Right. But I think that, you know, historically that, that control, that controlled messaging was super important. Right. And super yeah. uh, just people spend a lot of time on it. And now it's like, you're not, you're not who you say you are, right. You're who everybody else says you are because um, everybody else has a voice now. That's right. Um, okay. So let's get to a fun end of show question. So, you know, so I find TikTok, particularly a person's individual stream, 
to be incredibly revealing about what they find interesting, right? So it's actually like, if you sit there and I like want, I let somebody else watch my TikTok stream, like, wow, they are like finding out like who I am as a person, right? Like they're understanding deeply what I'm interested in. And for you, I know that learning is really important, which is also one of the best parts about TikTok, right? You learn about all these random things. So if I were to look through your TikTok stream, what would be some of the things that I would find that I wouldn't expect, right? Is it, are you one of the cooking people? Somehow, I didn't, I don't even have a dog, but apparently I love dog videos because they show up all the time, only because I watch them all the way through every time. So what's, what's on yours that I wouldn't expect to find? That, that, but first of all, that's like an amazing question because I feel like this should be like, I, I don't know, like maybe this should be part of like a personality litmus test or something. For you know? sure. It's like, <laughs> it's forget, so revealing. Yeah. It's like, like forget such a Myers-Briggs, look. right? Yeah. Like you just need to like look at somebody's TikTok for you and then you'll figure out exactly everything that you need to know about them. Okay. So apparently, apparently TikTok thinks that I like incredibly juvenile humor like I mean beyond beyond juvenile humor and I don't know I mean I like to say that some of it's driven by research for my job (laughs) but but I I'm pretty sure I'm also um doing my own like you know off the clock like scrolling of like like you know, ridiculous. I, I like to laugh a lot when I'm, when I'm on TikTok. So I, I I find like ridiculous, um, you know, physical humor or like punny humor, like people who are doing lots of like skits. I I get a lot of like comedy skits and things like that. Um, I don't get as many pets. I do get, um, and this one I do think is- So you don't like animals then? You're not- Apparently, (laughs) oh my God. This is like, I I know of of everything in this podcast, like that's going to be the the thing that like goes viral. You're going to show up on PETA's Instagram. (laughs) Totally. It's going to be like, so young Kang hates animals. No. (laughs) You know what I do? Like if, if animals, if there was a Venn diagram between animals and comedy, I do get some of those. Like when there's like funny- like the funny like animals that like do like weird things that people happen to capture on camera. I get, I get yeah, those. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I get a lot of, I would say um, on a, like on a, on a real note, I get a lot of things that are, um, you know, like related to like social justice. I get a lot mm-hmm. of people talking mm-hmm. about like, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, creators, influencers, the community like of color, whether it's like actually Asian, black, Hispanic. I get a lot of different, like different groups, um, like yeah. very diverse feed and talking about like real things. Um, and, and I love it because I feel like it helps me to like expand my mind and my understanding of like how different people are thinking about different topics. So I get a lot of that. I get a lot of Lizzo, but I think everybody gets a lot of Lizzo. <laughs> you know, I don't, I mean, like, I feel like I want to get Lizzo, but I don't get her. So I, I get a ton of Lizzo and Jason Derulo. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's know. what I'm saying is I think every person's like, my wife and I will sit in bed and we'll be, you know, looking at TikTok and I like look over at hers for a while. I'm like, man, you're sucks. Like, and I'll say, she reminds like, this is so boring. You know, it's like, pretty fascinating how good how good they are um awesome well i really appreciate you taking out the time i know i learned a lot today i'm sure everybody that listens will learn a lot as well and uh, congrats again on all your success both at eos and, and in the past and excited to see where you go in the future it's going to be you're going to kill it i know 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This was like actually one of the most fun conversations I've had. <laughs> so thank I you. Mean, for that's that. kind of the goal, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not really a fisherman. Like I don't really, <laughs> for some reason, I, you won't know this, but like I wear a different Hawaiian shirt to every single episode because I wore one once and my wife was like, well, now you have to keep going. So I've got a closet <laughs> full of 50 Hawaiian shirts. The point is for it to be fun because um, then, you know, people listen to it. Listening to it will have fun. So, um, but thanks so much. This was, this was awesome. Thank you, Connor. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. tribedynamics.com.